0: Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled, multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. A big hug, somebody a big hug and go ahead and have a seat. Open your Bible somewhere, I mean you can't give them a big hug unless you're not hugging and... And in that case, just give them a spiritual hug. You know, thoughts and prayers type of thing. I'm going to grab my water here. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers. How you guys feeling today? You good? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, come on. Come on. If you're going to do it, go ahead and do it. How are you doing, Mike? Good to see you guys today. I'm so glad uh, that I'm on this side of the ground today. How about you? Amen? Amen? We're in trying times here, uh, that's for sure, but uh, I am so thankful that my faith is in Jesus Christ, not in any man. Amen? Amen. I'm so thankful that I have a heavenly hope. Come on, if you're going to give Him glory, give Him glory. Come on. I'm so thankful that I have a heavenly hope and I'm not stuck with what the world can come up with. I'm so thankful that um, I have learned to cultivate thankfulness in this season and to be founded upon the sure rock of Jesus Christ, which is not shaken. Amen? Amen? Everything that can be shaken, the Bible says will be shaken, but the Lord Jesus Christ is not. And I want to be founded in Him. And that's not just, um, that's not just some mental thing where I uh, refuse to believe what's going on is real. Uh, you know, uh, I, you've probably met people like this who uh, over-spiritualized everything and their marriage is falling apart, uh, yet they still say, I'm not shaken. Well, you better be shaken if your marriage is falling apart, right? That's probably why your marriage is falling apart, right? You might want to put a little more focus in it there. Uh, but as opposed to just denying reality, it is finding yourself firmly founded in Him. Uh, I'm going to say a little technical thing here. You can ignore me. If we could switch the white lights, I'd super appreciate it. Switch it into preaching mode. Thank you so much. It's like uh, i got a train, like I've told you before. I'm coming down the track, and here they come at me. Here we go. But you've got to turn off the worship one. Now i got them all on. i got every white light we own Into my eyeballs, you guys are just big spots of white right now. Hey, thank you to everybody online who's joining us this morning. We love you guys and uh, hope that you are going to take part in our gift of hope. I want to say very quickly before I get into this, this, this. I'm like, I was talking to Corey about this uh, at the end of worship. Like, I, it's so cool that God commanded us to be generous, and it's just so fun. Is there anything better than? a child in um, foster care, like, that's awful. Anybody would say, you know, you know, no matter how bad your home was, not having your own family is probably not a whole lot better, right? So it's good that you're not in an abusive situation, but now you don't even have a family. And um, like, so here, here's one I grabbed uh, just now off the table. A girl, 13 to 17, wants a ceramic hair straightener. Now, what, what would it be like to be in foster care and you can't even get your hair done the way you want it? And then you get to buy her the thing to get her hair right. Yeah. Come on. like what, that, that, That's, you know, a lot of people say, you know, well, when I'm rich, I'm going to get a, uh, I'm going to do a, a youth program or I'm going to, well, if you won't buy a girl in foster care, a hair straightener, you probably won't yeah. Yeah. spend your money on a whole program. Right. So, you know, don't, don't push your good works off to the future yeah. Yeah. right now. Start right now. Amen. Like. I, I have a we have a bunch of these and um and uh, I uh, I had some money that I was just sitting around um not not I'm not like, you know, that what's that daffy duck thing with sitting on the money pile tattoo that people get, right? I'm not that guy. Um uh but uh I had some just a little bit of money that was gifted me and I was like just waiting to spend I'm going you know, like, like that's where mine's going. I'm buying kids Christmas gifts who don't have a home. I am super excited about that. That's I know it's selfish, I don't care, but Jesus said I can be selfish about that. Just get some pleasure out of helping people, right? That's what I'm doing. So let's just, let's just be the, that, that person, right? Let's just be that person. Um, you get no credit on earth for this, you're not going to meet these kids, but that's what it means to store riches in heaven, all right? Hallelujah. So we are in our uh, message series, The Gospels, uh, because we need to get firmly rooted in the Word of God in this season. And uh, have you enjoyed this? I've really enjoyed, I've enjoyed the message series, and I've enjoyed reading the Bible with you. Uh, Let me speak a word about the Bible reading plan we're doing. Let's say that you were all gung-ho on the first day of it, and you did the three chapters, and you commented, and the second day, you're like, well, you got one and a half chapters, you're like, I'll finish it tonight, and you didn't. And then Wednesday, you, you know, whatever, and so Thursday, you gave up. Listen, if you miss a couple days, just jump on the day that we're on. Right? If you can only read a chapter or two, read a chapter or two. Then skip to the leave a comment thing and just participate with us. Right. This isn't, don't like, oh, now i got to read six days and I can't do Just read it some other time. Get on the day with us. Right? right? If you miss a life group, come to the next life group. We're not going to tell you to talk about what we talked about last life group. Like, just come join us. Okay? Just be, be free of condemnation. Right? Just be free of guilt, be free of condemnation. Reading the Bible some is better than reading the Bible, none. right? So just g- jump on and join us, get the, get the app if you don't have the Bible app, and get in the reading plan and comment like we've been commenting, and it's really cool to see what other people are getting out of the same stuff that we're reading. Amen? Amen. I've really enjoyed it. Some of your uh, comments have really challenged me. It's uh, been really really good. And so Today, we are continuing. Last week, we talked about the book of Matthew. Uh, did you see any of the stuff that we talked about last week in your reading? Yeah. Thank you, honey. I appreciate that. So, so we know Sam and my wife read the Bible. That's good. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Um, I, I did. Of course, I wrote the message. So, of course, I, I saw it. Um, today, we're going to be in Mark. And as we, as we read these things, as we read the Bible, a lot of the world, um, a lot of people who don't know God, they, 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 they make up things, uh, they make up answers to things they don't know the answer to. And they're convinced that their answer is the right one, right? Like, they're convinced that this thing that they invented in their head is real, despite the fact that, you know, a couple billion people throughout the last several centuries have testified to the same thing, right? Like, last 2,000 years, a couple millennia. Uh, you know, those of us who, uh, you know, have met Jesus, see Him in the Word, um, and uh, to say that this was just some invention from some people who were creative minds a couple centuries later, it, it sounds cool, uh, but it doesn't add up, right? Um, how do we know that it's real? How do we know that the book of Mark is real, and it wasn't some act of fiction later? Now, you can read this. It's called apologetics. You can study apologetics, and it's a pretty solid case here, um, but I'm just going to touch on it very quickly that you know how we know One way we know that this wasn't made up later. Uh, First of all, there were people in, uh, you know, around 120, we have manuscripts written by people who weren't Christians uh, in the first and second century, uh, as well as Christians, uh, bishops, who in writing letters to other people, talk about the book of Mark. So starting around uh, the year 120, we have people referring to uh, the book of Mark that was already written. And so Mark was written around the year 64. So if you think that, about 60 years later, what happened about 60 years ago? We're talking about the 60s. And now if I were to lie to you about something that happened in the 60s, we'd all know it was a lie, right? I couldn't write a letter to you and say, just like that time in the 60s when all of Americans went back to you know riding in wagons, Uh, You know, and and you'd be like, no, actually, it's not that confusing. We know what happened in the 60s, right? So uh, we know they were writing to contemporaries. So it was understood at that point that Mark was a real letter that was written. But as we talk about what happened, it's going to kind of bring some light to you as you read Mark what was going on at the time. Now, Emperor Nero was uh, ruling Rome in that season. And Nero, um, the first five years of his reign, he was a pretty good leader. He was a smart guy, started organizing things well. Then he kind of went crazy, which is what happens when someone has unchecked power, right? They, uh, they just become wacko, uh, that whether they lead a, a, a secular institution or they lead a church. If you have nobody in your life that can challenge you, you become wacko. It's just, it's just what happens. You become self-serving. You become uh, narcissistic. You start thinking the world is about you. Um, And uh, that's what happened with Nero, except Nero was somewhat demonized, it would seem. And uh, as he looked at Rome, he wanted Rome to be as beautiful as the modern cities in other parts of the world. And so what he wanted to do is he wanted to tear down neighborhoods, make the streets wider, have more beautiful, uh, what we would call a park, or they would call a garden in the middle of the city. And he couldn't get the Roman Senate to agree with him to do that. Uh, and no matter what he would try to do, uh, they wouldn't do it. And so what happened was he began burning Rome down. And out of the 14 districts of Rome, uh, 10 of them were burned absolutely to the ground. And it took two fires, and the first fire lasted for over a week uh, as it burned through the city of Rome, and it didn't clear everything he wanted to clear it out, and so his people started burning down another part of Rome. Uh, And so as it happens, after Rome was burned down, he started rebuilding it, how he wanted it built in the first place. And the people didn't like that. They didn't like that he they, they burned down their, their neighborhoods, their homes, their businesses. Uh, and so um, he started trying to give them food, and, and that wasn't enough to give up your home for. So there was a lot of protests. And so what he started doing was uh, he started um, blaming the fires on the Christians. Now, the Christians had a bit of a bad name then because... What the Romans would do is they would have these magnificent pageants, these feasts that the Christians took part in before they became Christians, and there would be sexual immorality, and there would be drunkenness, and there was a kind of a real hedonistic time. And as people got saved, and they started getting the infilling of the Holy Spirit and began getting a conviction of sin, they'd say, we're not going to be a part of that. And so they began being called weird. They began being called peculiar. And since they were separate from the world, saying, we're not going to take part in your your love feasts, we're not going to take part in a love feast that you call love that we say that isn't love at all, that's debauchery. And so since they were already called peculiar, uh, he started blaming the fires on the Christians. Now, what the record shows us is that that didn't really gain a whole lot of traction, but it didn't stop him and the government from uh, persecuting these people who are considered foreigners. This is how it always starts. And so as he began persecuting these foreigners, uh, he began to have them murdered, as we've talked about. Um, they would put, you, you ever, you've probably seen this, where they were uh, martyred, and they were put in the like the coliseums, and they would put animal skins on them, and the dogs would come and literally rip them to pieces for entertainment, and they would use Christians for this. We talked about how he would light them on fire in his garden, uh, and he was just torturing Christians. And now, around this time is when, there's two datings, but we'll say, we'll go with this one. First uh, Peter was written, and this is where Peter is talking to the people of Rome. Now, Peter uh, was in Rome at this time, uh, and this is where you read in First Peter this trial by fire that he's talking about. He's not talking about some future apocalyptic event, He's literally saying the Christians are being tried with fire. He meant it literally because they were being burned alive and their city was burned down and they were being accused of it. It was literally a trial by fire. And so Peter is trying to encourage these people, listen, we know it's true, stand up to this trial. Now, Peter's assistant, of course, was Mark. uh, And they were co-evangelists. And uh, Peter had walked with the Lord, whereas Mark was not one of the... 12 disciples, and Mark was there, and around this time, Peter was martyred. Uh, Peter was murdered, and, um, and Mark wrote what Peter had been saying. So Peter was saying there was this oral tradition, so you got to figure Jesus had been murdered about 30 years earlier, so not some foreign event like something that happened in the 90s, we'll say, and so some of you, that's a long time ago. Some of us, that's not very long at all, actually, right? It's, like that. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, and so, uh, you know, they're talking about what happened in that season. And uh Mark wrote down the, the oral tradition by the inspiration of Holy Spirit. What we have today is called the book of Mark, right? And so um we know that Mark and 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 Peter were in Rome, and in in biblical language in the New Testament era. Rome was Babylon. They would call it Babylon. Now, if you remember in the Old Testament, the people of God were carried away and they were captive to a foreign power in a foreign land of Babylon. And we know that Rome in prophetic language in the New Testament is Babylon. We see here, again, in 1 Peter 5.13, he's talking about the people who are in Rome. He says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, and so does my son, Mark. See, now Mark was not a physical son. He was a spiritual son. He called him his son. Uh, And Babylon is the city they were in, which was Rome, right? It's not some confusing seven seals, Mark of the Beast kind of what are we talking about here? It's Rome. Literally, he used it right there, right? If I were to write a letter to you and say I'm going to the bougie city where the town center is, we're not looking in the future where the beast reveals the city of Bougie, right? Like, no, it's Boca. Right? Does that make sense? It's just, it's not complicated here. Rome, right? And so, and so Mark writes this gospel in Rome um, to those who are undergoing this fiery trial. So that's kind of the background. Does that make sense? I, I can say all that again because you guys got to participate if it makes sense. You gotta like, you gotta, you gotta, you're representing people. The people online need to know they're missing out on an enthusiastic crowd here and they need to come in soon. That was for you, people online. Anya didn't applaud me, but the rest of them did, and I'm encouraged by that. Anya's known me so long, it's hard to get her impressed at this point. She's like, I've heard you preach better, Pastor. Let's just... I'm trying, Anya. I am trying. right? And so what, what, is, it, what is it that we're supposed to learn from this Gospel of Mark? <clears throat> well, the first thing I believe since he is writing to a literal people about literal trials, what do we get out of this for us? What are, there, there's very contextual things that are written in this book, but the way the Holy Spirit has uh, helped inspire this, it is applicable to every day throughout history. Isn't that amazing? It's just amazing that this book, um, that that absolutely was written to a specific people about a specific instance and a specific time. You read it and it's like he wrote it to you today about your week. It's just amazing. And I'm not um, superimposing this on you or tricking you. If you read the Bible and you have your ears open, you will just see how God begins speaking to you. And it's just amazing. But the first thing I believe he wants you to know is that Jesus knows what you're going through and he gets it. He knows what you're going through and he gets it. Now, Jesus in the book of Mark, he was uh Mark has a very specific thing he's trying to get across. And, and 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 in Mark, Mark like he just Jesus just shows up. Things just happen suddenly, as I'm gonna I'm gonna show you here. But he wanted to paint, first of all, that Jesus was a real man who went through real stuff and his life relates to you. Let's look here at the very beginning, Mark chapter 1, verse. Twelve, He says, immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, talking about Jesus, right after his baptism. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by the devil, and he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now remember that part. Leave that up if you would, please. In the other Gospels where they talk about the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, Mark is the only one that talks about the wild beasts that were there and the angels. Why? Because the Christians were being persecuted by wild beasts in this wilderness experience in the Babylon of their era. They literally were being torn apart by wild beasts. And Mark wanted them to know that just like you are being tormented, Jesus was tormented in the wilderness. But there there is angelic help here with you. You may not see help in the natural, but in the spirit realm, the Lord is with you and he gets it. He totally understands. And nothing that they were going through is foreign to Jesus. And let me tell you, nothing that you're going through is foreign to Jesus. We don't have some deity. Amen. No, no, let's give it up. Nothing. We don't, we don't have a deity who just um, sat in a room and tried to get inner peace. right? He actually had flesh. He actually uh, was among us. He actually was tried and tempted and persecuted. Like He, he actually went through it. He can identify with what we're going through. And the other thing that he's trying to, to explain in this thing is that Jesus is the authoritative Son of God. He's not just some, he's not some mental assent. He's not just a good thought. He's, God's, he's God who is triumphant. He's a triumphant envoy from heaven who came to suffer and die in order to claim victory over sin and death. He's not some far off God. He is close and he's in the midst of struggle and he conquered that struggle so that we can have everlasting life with the Father. This is, this is the Jesus that Mark is painting. And so in this painting, this picture of this suffering servant, Mark wanted them to get that enduring suffering is part of the Christian life. When you read the Gospels, you don't come away with a, a theology that if you believe in Jesus, you just get to tiptoe through life from cloud to cloud. It's just, you can't read the book and come away with that conclusion. Like, this life is hard. This life, there's suffering. But in the midst of the trials, He is there with the angels ministering to us. And for me, that's comforting that I'm not actually alone. I've not been abandoned. I'm not given over. I'm not overwhelmed. He has more than enough to see me through any trial that I go through. And for me, that's a source of peace. For me, that's a source of comfort. You know, in the midst of these trials, in the midst of this this hardship that we get, the enemy, what he wants to do is through terrorism, quiet our voice. It's this terroristic spirit that wants you to be fearful to be who you really are. And Jesus showed us that you can be who you are to the death and He's still going to be with you. You can be who you are because Jesus has empowered you to be who you are. I love the current social media trends of embracing your real hair, of embracing your real looks, of, you know, if you come from uh, maybe African descent, you don't have to embrace European beauty standards. And if you uh, have curly hair, you don't have to straighten your hair. And if you have blonde hair, you don't have to make it brunette. Like we don't have to look the same to be beautiful. Right. I love that. I love that. I love embracing who God created you to be. And Jesus, they wanted him to conform. And he's like, I will not conform and I will not quiet my voice. I refuse to quiet my voice. And and this this is what I believe Mark learned from Peter. Peter, who was from Jerusalem, who was right there, and now he finds himself in Rome, the belly of the beast far from the Middle East. And he refused to be who they wanted him to be. He refused to give them ease. He refused to let them live in their um, lie. He's like, I am going to continue declaring the truth. And let me tell you, the time for Christians to stand up for truth is right now. The time for Christians to raise their voice for truth is right now. With a time to fight oppression in any way it comes. The time to fight the lie, no matter who is speaking it, is right now. It's right now. It's it's not and amen. And it's not us inventing our own truth. We have to declare the truth. And the truth is not hidden. The truth is plain. And I am, 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 am making people angry. I'm going to declare the truth wherever it comes from. I don't care who's speaking the truth. If you're speaking the truth, I'm standing with you. Um I I um I want you all to stand in the truth, even if you believe it different than me. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not looking for clones. I'm tired of Christian clones, right? Stand on the truth, uh, but make sure it's the truth. Like Things like, I don't know, evidence helps. Don't make stuff up and because your favorite prophet said it, declare it's the truth. A word, the word of the Lord is tested seven times, and after seven times, we can't see it. It's probably not the truth. Right? It's probably not the truth. And I want you guys to stand on the truth. And if you're not sure, say, I'm not sure, but this is what I believe. That's not complicated. Pride makes us stand up for things like that we, we attach our ego to our opinion. And that's exactly what the enemy wants. We need to, we need to model humility and repentance. See, there were rumors and there were accusations about the Christians then. Wars and rumors of wars, as, as the Bible says, being said about the Christians. And these accusations were all against them. And in the midst of it, Peter and Mark, they came with proof of the living God. They talked about what happened. They were witnesses. I'm telling you what we have seen and believed, as John says. Now, we know that Peter was impetuous, right? Like, he wanted to get things done right now, right away, absolutely, this very moment. And so, uh, for that reason, uh, Mark is associated with the lion. Uh, The lion, it it leaps very quickly. Uh, You can see in the four pictures here, as we've put up uh, several times, uh, the four thingies there. Yeah, so we keep coming back to this because it looks fairly ridiculous, but uh, it's, it's clear. Um, we see uh, a mark here with, with the lion, and we like to think it's because of we're going to rule, but really it's because it, a, a, it was very um, stealthy, and he would suddenly show up on the scene and, 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 and do his thing. Now, if you look through iconography and pictures of Luke, here's another painting, uh, an old painting of Luke uh, with the lion. Not that one, but this one right here, this beautiful one right there. So you see the lion uh, behind him because we know that Luke was born in Ethiopia, excuse me, in um, Egypt, northern Africa. Uh, And so this is their painting of him. Uh, If you like your uh, New Testament saints wider, we got that for you too. Right here, go ahead and throw that up if you would, please, Jen. Yeah, so there's a little more, you know, if you like your, if you like the Bible to bend towards you, there you go. You got that as well. So. Pick whatever you want, um, but uh, <laughs> hallelujah. Uh, so, so Mark, he, he doesn't tell the story of like the lineage of Mark. He just, he shows up on the scene as we begin to read it this week. He shows up on the scene as an adult, right? We don't get this whole, tell you the whole story. And uh, he, he shows up on the scene as an adult and he goes like, Mark goes fast, right? So in the first chapter, uh, just the first chapter alone of Mark, we get uh, John the Baptist, We get the baptism of Jesus. We get the temptation story with Jesus in the wilderness, and he comes out. And then we see the lion, right? Jesus has the lion. He jumps off to work. In this first chapter, he proclaims the kingdom of God and repentance. He starts forming his group of disciples. He starts teaching and healing. Uh, He meets the man with the unclean spirits in the synagogue. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. He heals people who are sick or possessed of the devil, uh, then he starts going around to towns and synagogues of Galilee, and he heals a leper. I mean, like, this, this lion is just on the prowl doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, we see Jesus roaming in Mark all over the areas of Galilee, the northern territories far and wide. And in the Gospel of Mark, unlike others, this lion has this huge territory uh, that he takes reign over. Uh, In Mark, we see him uh, starts in the north in Capernaum and Galilee. uh, and Then he's in the the northern area, the Greek areas of the um, Gerasenes. Uh, He goes to the Decapolis, uh, Nazareth. He comes down to Genesaret, Tyre and Sidon. And he comes through Bessadia, Caesarea Philippi, then Galilee and Capernaum again. And then eventually, he heads south to Judea to the road to Jerusalem. There's 40 scene changes in Mark. Like, he's like, we got stuff to do, got places to go, people to heal. Like, we got stuff going on. That's, that's Mark's Jesus. And so if you're kind of a fast-paced kind of a person, let's get stuff done, you're probably going to like Mark, right? This is, this is who he is. But there's a point uh, to this. He, he, he says that in the beginning, there's, there's like kind of these scenes I want you to show. In this first kind of section, we have this hidden Messiah, right? We have this hidden Messiah. He's hidden. He tells people don't talk about him. And then later, we see Jesus known as the Messiah. There's these two phases. And Mark makes this point, and this is the point he's trying to make, that we need to make a public decision about Jesus. A public decision has to be made about Jesus. This is the point uh, in Mark's Gospel. I think I even wrote it on a slide. Watch this. Well, it'll be up there eventually. So, really quickly, let's go through this very quickly. In Mark chapter 3... Starting in verse 20, I want you to see there's this style that Mark uses to write it, right? Okay, so Mark chapter 3. Mark uses this example as you read it this week. Are you all sticking with me? I got a lot going on. I'm running out of time, so I'm talking quickly. Okay. (laughs) Like the lion. The spirit is upon me. As you read Mark, he uses this literary style, which is so cool. When you take a step back from the scriptures and you look how they're written. I consider myself a writer, uh, but if, you, if you're a writer and you read a good writer, you're like, I'll never be that good. Or if, you know, you, whatever you do, you bake, and then someone brings you over something, you're like, why am I even baking, right? Like, it's kind of that when you read it. So Mark has this style where it's called the sandwich, right? Kind of a one-to-one. So what he'll do is he'll be telling a story. And in the midst of a story, he tells another story, to uh, show an example, or flip the meaning of the story. So you understand the big story with the little story he has in the middle. Watch this. So in Mark chapter three, verse twenty, uh, he talks about um, he they talk about his family, and we see here he came home. Jesus had a home. Right, he wasn't a wandering vagabond bum. He actually had a home. Right? Jesus came home and the crowd gathered again to see to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard, that's his family, when they heard uh, of this, they went to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his mind. So, his family, we see, Jesus had already healed, preached, delivered. I mean, miracles had already been happening, but his family said that he was out of his mind. That's what happens when you get really saved. And people don't know what that looks like. They're like, this child done gone crazy. And then they start doing things like, why can't you go out with these other people who aren't saved? Why you got to do everything with Christians? Like, why weren't you arguing with me when I was in the club? Why why now that I actually want to stay in the word of God? I want to hang out with believers. Why all of a sudden now you got to be all up in my life, right? Because the family doesn't always get it. They didn't get Jesus. And people who don't know him won't get you. They will not understand the motivations in your life for truth. And so when that happens, don't be upset. Like, it's biblical, right? It's right there in the Word, right? So his family didn't know what was going on, and they thought he was crazy. Let's skip to the end of this story. Mark 3, 31, right? His mothers and brothers had arrived, and they were standing outside. Now, they didn't go in to really hear what he was doing. They're not going to go to the church service with you, maybe. Right? They're not actually going to sit down and ask you to explain what's happening. They're going to stand outside and send somebody to come get you. Right? So they, came, they showed up outside, and they sent word to him, and they called him. Right? And so verse 32, a crowd was sitting around Jesus. Now, we've got a crowd who are enwrapped with what Jesus is saying because they've seen that he's the Son of God, that he's a miracle worker, that he's a, a rabbi, he's changing their lives, he's a prophet, and his family is out there sending for him, wanting to you know, stop that nonsense, come on outside, right? You getting the picture? Yeah. Okay, so a crowd was sitting around him and they said to him, behold, hey, your mom and your, and your family's out there and, and, and they want you. And he's like, who's really my mother and who's my family? Those who do the will of God, right? These are, behold, my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and my sister and my mother. Now he's not denying family here. He's like, listen, if you, if you, if you don't get me, you're not really family with me. You can't just say I go to church. You can't just say I've read the Bible. My real family are people who get who I am, right? Who get it, all right? So here's the story. Now, in the middle of this story, we have this other story, right? This is so cool. And in the middle of this story, Jesus cast the devil out of somebody, right? And as he cast the devil out of him, here's what the people said about him, the scribes, the scribes, verse, 30, verse 22. And it says, The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebub, And he casts out demons by the ruler of demons. So in the middle of his family not getting him, here we have the religious leaders not getting him. And Jesus is trying to explain that just like his family doesn't get it, Mark's trying to explain, just like the family doesn't get it, the people who are closest to him The people who are supposed to get it, didn't get it. And he's explaining how these religious leaders think they know something. But if they really were religious leaders, they would know who the Messiah was. And people who don't put the Messiah at the center of their faith, don't get it. They're off. Just like his family is no longer his family because they didn't get it. Does that make sense? And so when you know what you are called to be by God, and your family's like, don't you, you'd better just stay in your place. Aren't you just the son of the carpenter? Weren't you just born on the backside of nowhere? Shouldn't you go ahead? He's like, no, 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 you don't get me. Now, you're still family to me. We know that Jesus told the disciples to take care of his mom, so we know he didn't disown them or shun them like a cult would, right? Uh, but they, his real family are the people who get him. The real family are the people who get you. Don't hear any cultic thing where I'm saying cut off from family, leave like, Not what we're saying at all, right? But you don't bend to people who don't know Jesus. (laughs) You can't bend to people who don't know him because they do not hear what you're hearing. They don't see what you're seeing. They don't understand the promise that's before you. They don't understand what God's put in your heart. And so he's saying, just like my family is not really my family because they don't get me, these people are not really the leaders of God's religion because they don't get me. He's He's marking a difference. And so in this season, in this whole season, we get what I call... Cloudy Jesus, seeing him cloudy. And Mark is telling this story about the people who see Jesus cloudy in this whole time. When they get it, he tells them be quiet. It's not the season for Son of God Jesus yet, right? It's cloudy Jesus time. And we see this in Mark chapter 8. You can read this later. And in Mark chapter 8, you all know this story. They're in Bethsaida and they bring a blind man to him, Right? And uh, in verse 23, it says, They took the blind man and they brought him out of the village, Uh, spit on his eyes. I have no idea why. Uh, Well, I have ideas, probably none of them are right. Um, And he asked him, Do you see anything? Right? Jesus, they spit in his eyes, some dirt, whatever there. And they said, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see men. They're like trees walking around, right? So here we have trees, men like trees, trees that have been killed. We just have papyrus. We don't have the living man. We don't see the scriptures clearly, right? So we have religious leaders who don't see clearly. And then he took him again. He looked intently and he was restored. And then he began to see everything clearly. And he sent him home saying, don't enter the village. Don't tell anybody what happened. Go home and be restored to your family. Now, I've used this scripture to see many, many, many people healed where I pray for someone and they weren't healed and they would start to get disappointed and I'd say, hey, Jesus prayed for someone twice, we can pray twice, right? And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, I'll lay hands on you and they get healed. I've seen, and many people here have, we've seen people healed of amazing things after praying more than once. But that's not what the, the, the picture this story is telling. Though it's good to use it for that, the story this 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 parable is telling is that Jesus was cloudy to the people who should have seen instantly. But he's saying, hey, there's going to be a revelation to people where they will see him clearly. Just because you can see things cloudy is not good enough. We need to see clearly what is written on these trees, right? This paper, what has been written. And so later in the story, and as we read it together this week, I want you to to see this, uh, Jesus becomes the promised Messiah, right? This is the Jesus, the promised Messiah. We start seeing it around uh, Mark chapter 10. And around Mark chapter 10, there's this another story and they came to Jericho. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples in a large crowd, a blind beggar, say blind beggar. beggar. We see a second blind person, right? But this man is begging. Uh, He was named Bartimaeus and he was a son of Timaeus. Apparently that meant something to people back then who this person was, right? Uh, Since they're saying who he was and where he comes from. And he was sitting by the road, and when he heard that it was Jesus, now watch this, the Nazarene, that's Jesus the man, right? Mark emphasized that Jesus was a man who lived the real life. Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, that is the name of the Messiah. That's the promised Messiah was the son of David. He was not Jesus the Nazarene, he's the son of God. Son of David. So when he began to cry out, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many were telling him, hey, shut up, because that's what Jesus has been telling people. Hey, we don't don't say that about him, but he's crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus, now that's that's, that's not just a prayer for healing now. That's the Son of God who would show mercy to the world through the forgiveness of sins. Here we have the blind man prophesying who Jesus really is because he's not leaning on his own understanding. See, the blind man can't lean on what he's seen. He has to say it by the spirit. And so now we got blind Bartimaeus prophesying who he really is by the Spirit. Natural Israel had left this man as a beggar. Jesus recognizes him as a prophet. Watch this. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet. Look at the people were telling him to deny who God called him to be. You see that? People are telling him don't. Son of David, he went in. Have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, bring him here. When you become the real you, you start getting around Jesus a little bit more, okay? So Jesus said, call him, call him here. And he said to Jesus, and they, so they called the blind man saying, take courage, stand up, he's calling you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus and answered him saying, Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said, go. Your faith has made you Well, immediately he regained his sight and began following him on the road. What faith did he gain his sight by? His faith in healing? No. Faith in Jesus as the Son of God. This is not healing faith. This is not word of faith. This is not the declaration of faith. This is faith that Jesus is actually the Messiah promised to come. That Jesus is the one who has authority The king, the lion who rules over everywhere he goes. This God, this Jesus is your healer. This is what Mark is declaring in this gospel. Now, from now on, people would not need a second touch of revelation to find out who he is. He has been revealed as the son of God. So as we read together this week, I want you to be looking for this shift that happens in the Word and how we, they start treating him differently after this revelation. Before, when he got a little pushback, now they want to murder him. Before, when they just tried to dismiss him and marginalize him, now the religious leaders call him a threat and want him dead. Now the hurting run to him for salvation, to be restored to the true Son of God. Can you say Amen stand with me if you would. And what this says to me today is just like Mark was telling these people in their fiery trial, listen, things may not be pointing to the rosy picture you thought was coming with Jesus. And I want to apologize to anybody here if you've been lied to and you've been told that, you know, if you put your faith in Jesus and you give the right amount of money, it's it's a lotto and you just pull the handle and everything's going to be beautiful from here on out. It's just not the gospel. Um, It's just not the gospel. The gospel is in the midst of fiery trials. He is with you. That is the promise. And the whole gospel of Jesus Christ is not, hey, it's a life improvement program. It's He's God, let's recognize it program. And with that, there's some benefits. I I don't have to... um, I don't, I'm don't. i not going to buy this girl a ceramic hair straightener, and I know there's another one uh, back there. I'm not going to buy her a hair straightener because I know it's going to make my life better. I'm going to do it because God wants us to be generous. But a benefit is going to be my life's going to be better. Amen? So today, this week, let's make a conscious choice right now. Let's just pray really quick in your own mind. It's whisper in your own words uh, just whether you're ready to make this decision or not, and I hope that you are. And if you already have, maybe it's time again just to say, you know, Jesus, you might want to name a couple sins you need to be forgiven of that you've committed in the last week. Maybe where you came up short of those beatitudes that we confessed together at the beginning of service. And as you confess that, you don't have to feel guilty like the world feels guilty and beats themselves up. You can be thankful that we have a Messiah to forgive your sins. And you can just say at the end, say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, and I thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for washing me clean. Help me to live like I know the truth. Amen? Amen. Thank you very much. Come on, let's.